the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. This is Nunzio Signore, and I'm flying solo today. Going to talk about a few things that are pretty pertinent to the time of year we're in right now. This is pretty much the time of the year when we see everybody going out to play ball. Our college guys are in college, and our pros have left to go to preseason. We got some indie ball guys left that are getting ready to head out in May. And our high school guys are playing high school ball, so... It's a little quiet here in the daytime. It gives me time to think about some things. And one of the things I love to think about is how strong we can get guys in the offseason. Sometimes it's really discouraging to watch some of these guys go into their season, our high school guys in particular, and watch them because now games are being played. They somehow think that it's okay to not train anymore. And as much as I can stress it and as much as I try to stress it, for some reason, that does, does not get across. I think a lot of people think it's time to play baseball. And when it's time to play baseball, it's time to stop maintaining and even sometimes getting stronger, which couldn't be further from the truth. You know, getting strong in the offseason uh, to prepare for the in season is, is paramount. But we can't forget that it's the athlete that finishes the season as strong as he started the, that usually reaps the most rewards. You know, when we get late into the season, that guy that's uh, maintaining his energy level, maintaining his power is going to reap the benefits when everyone else is getting tired. We see drops in velo on the mound. We see it off the bat, especially see a lot of guys' arms hanging and injuries, all a result of not training in season. Four to five months in the off-season of getting stronger is intended to help develop many of the strength and motor abilities needed to succeed in baseball, whether it be strength, velocity, speed. Uh, all of these abilities will only remain active and effective at a heightened level, at like performance level, for a given period of time after training stops. Uh, this drop of specific athletic components is definitely called the residual training effect. And today, that's kind of what we're talking about and how in-season training can help prevent that. And some traits will last longer than others. We know that once tryouts and practices begin, the speed component will get more than its fair share of attention. But if all an athlete works on is their speed by playing baseball, running sprints at practice, they're going to lose that component of power and strength by the time the season even begins in April. Uh, A lot of these guys in the Northeast up here, there's no baseball really being played very much because of the weather in March. So by in April, all of those other components are not attended to two to three days a week in in the weight room with in-season training. Overall performance will begin to be negatively affected. And this is cumulative. So 
you know, we'll get from, from in season, we'll start summer ball in June. Sooner or later, all of the off season's hard work has significantly dissipated or completely disappeared. I remember Mike Reinhold calling this, uh, managing a controlled fall, which I thought was a great way to describe it. What I try to explain to guys is, listen, we spend the off-season getting you strong. We bring you up to here. Now, what we can do is we can at least try to maintain that strength or maybe even still get stronger some guys. Um, we need to at least try to maintain that throughout the season, throughout the summer. So when we start that off-season again, we're where we left off. Because if not, we're starting back down again, and we get on that hamster wheel, and that's a really bad place to be um, and a very discouraging place to be. If we let that controlled fall happen during in-season and summer ball, and we come back in September with our arm hanging or our bat speed down or we've lost 15 pounds, we're starting from scratch again, and that can really, really be disheartening to a guy who worked so hard in the off-season to get there. So let's start breaking these down a little bit. We, we started with speed, right? We'll start from the fastest movements to the slowest. Speed, you know, speed is one of the ultimate players in the game, especially for position players. Uh, this type of speed training in the offseason is geared more to the strength side of speed. Once baseball starts, it becomes more specific in the form of throwing, hitting, fielding, base running, and becomes the responsibility of the coach to train these qualities through practice and in the form of sp short sprint work and not running laps and poles. Running laps and poles is not going to make you faster. A lot of guys like to use it as a flush. That's a whole nother topic. Uh, we need to do short sprint work. We need 5-10-5 shuttles, 30-yard buildups, 20s. This is all drill work that can be done at practice with the team. That doesn't mean it's getting done. And we will ask our guys that come in in season if they're doing any sprint work, and you would be surprised at some of the guys who say, no, they're just running, they're running a mile, they're running two miles, which is basically the gift of slowness with, with their aerobic ability. So we will actually put in sprint work in the athlete's training in his in-season program, but for the most part, we leave that out because we consider that to be a necessity for the team to do because they have the field and they can actually do it. But next on the list is power, and this is a big one. Speed, strength, strength, speed. You know, strength, speed is defined as moving a moderately heavy weight as fast as possible. Speed, strength can be best defined as speed and the conditions of strength. So we're using lighter loads at very fast velocities. And these are things that do not get worked on while guys are playing baseball. These are things that are not focused on when they're playing baseball. So we feel it's really, really important on a two-day program that we give them a little bit of power, a little bit of power endurance, and a little bit of absolute strength. They're the three things you do not get when you're playing baseball. This is the power side of things. We use VBT to accomplish this, but we're basically looking and using loads of about 50% of an athlete's one rep max, sometimes a little lighter, sometimes even maybe a little heavier. Uh, we look to see where they produce peak power, and we work, at this, we work at this load intensity. So we'll generally do six to eight sets of three. We do three reps because we don't want any fatigue setting in. We don't want more than a 10% loss from the first rep to the last rep. It's not a conditioning session. It's a power session. So we want to make sure by just doing three reps at a low intensity, we can be sure that guy, an athlete's not going to fatigue and he can be as explosive as possible on every rep. I'll also add that this type of power training, because it's such a low intensity, is really, really great to do. Even the day of a game, it creates no residual soreness. The guys love it, and some guys even tell me that it primes them, and actually, they play better when they hit a quick lift like this before a game.
Another thing that works well is trap bar jumps with 50% of a one rep max. The trap bar really lets these guys sit back and hinge, and uh, they have great success with it at our place. Once we work on power, we want to make sure that these guys can produce power over and over again. So basically, I'm talking about power endurance. And we'll generally work this on a second day where we'll do maybe two or three series of six sets of three with maybe 20 to 30 seconds rest in between. The reason we're using 20 to 30 seconds rest is because it's very similar to the time in between pitches on the short side. So for example, we may use weighted vest CMJ jumps and we'll have them jump for three reps take a 20 to 30 second break and do that six times for, for a set sets of six. And then we'll give them maybe two to three to four minutes off and we'll have them do it again. So it's two series of those six by threes with 20 to 30 seconds break in between each rep. And on the technical side, what this does is it improves the capacity of the elactic system by increasing the amount of stored phosphocreatine. Basically, allowing the fast twitch fiber to have more endurance helps improve the ability to maintain explosive bouts of power for extended uh, durations, which from pitch to pitch and inning to inning is crucial, especially for pitchers. And lastly, we want to work on absolute strength or max strength. We just really want to maintain everything that we build up in that offseason. And the good news about this is that it has a long residual effect, meaning that we don't need to train it more than once a week three times a month in season. We're not trying to get stronger, remember, in season. We're trying to maintain our existing strength that we've built up in the off season. I've seen it a million times, guys who start to lose this strength. You'll start to see it before you even start to see velo go down. A lot of times, like with a pitcher, for example, when he starts, body starts to get weak and he starts to lose that absolute strength, he'll start letting go of the ball early. He'll start throwing high and arm side because he actually can't hang on to those successful positions longer and stay on the ball longer. As a result, less perceived velocity, the batter gets to see the ball a lot quicker and sooner. He also can't come down. The pitcher can't come down on his ball and get more leverage on the ball by not being able to stay in those positions for a longer period of time. And that can really have an effect on ball movement, especially the breaking ball and the vertical break. So in a nutshell, we're trying to maintain our max strength and we're trying to maintain our power and explosiveness and our ability to continue to be powerful and explosive bout after bout, pitch after pitch, play after play. The good news is that this really doesn't require five days a week of training. The volume of training does not to be, doesn't have to be as high as it does in the off-season when we're really trying to get strong and put on some good weight. I tell guys, try to get in here two to three times a week, two minimum, three is great, and we'll do full-body workouts, and we'll split it up between max strength and power, and day two might be max strength and power endurance. Or it might just be max strength and power endurance and power and power endurance. And every once in a while, we'll hit uh, max strength every two weeks. It really depends on the guy. It really depends on what the guy needs. If he's a hard gainer, we'll hit absolute strength a little bit more. If he's a really strong guy that needs to be explosive, we don't need that going away. And he kind of those guys kind of tend to hang on to their strength a little longer because they've probably been working out longer and have a longer training age. So two to three days a week is sufficient. The workouts are short. I tell those guys, if, it, if you're in here long, more than 50 minutes, that's including your arm care. 30-minute workout, 20-minute arm care, 
you need to think about how much time you're wasting in the gym because this could be a 50-minute workout easy, you know. In mentioning arm care, this is a, a huge point. Probably one of the most important things about coming in here in season is that I know that the guys aren't skimping on their arm care because we're here watching them. And a lot of times that's definitely not happening at the field. The first thing that goes away is the amount of arm care that guys do. It kind of gets pushed away to the wayside and uh, then all of a sudden problems start happening. I understand a lot of times guys come here from 40 minutes away and in the off season when there's no practice or no games, it's possible to come after school and then when baseball starts, that gets a little difficult. And for that reason, we have remote training. We have a lot of guys doing remote training with us in season who are coming from 35 to 40 minutes away. And that's something that I think every facility needs to really, really give their guys the opportunity to do that. If you really expect the guys to be diligent with their in-season training, you have to give them the option to get good training where they are. So offering it remotely is a great way to make sure that you guys can continue the training process as if they were here in the off-season. And before I close up with this first discussion, I just want to say this is one of the most important things that an athlete can do during the in-season and summer to continue training for his continued growth and for his continued long-term athletic development. And it is also the one thing that I see people skimp on the most. Baseball starts and all logic starts to go out the window with some people. Just the other night, I had a pitching analysis with a young athlete's parents and they want more velo, they want more velo they're telling me that they can't train in season, but they're going to continue pitching. I'm like, listen, guys, pitching lessons and working on mechanics is great, but your lowest hanging fruit for your son to throw harder is to get stronger and gain weight. And for some reason, this does not resonate with people. It's getting better, but it's still not where it should be. So listen, guys, get in season, get training, get in the gym two to three times a week, find a gym. Doesn't have to be with me, I tell my guys, but make sure you're training. And if you have a place that offers remote training that you have good results with, jump on it because nothing could be more important to your success in the in-season and in the summer and also your development once off-season starts again so we can start velo and size-wise where we kicked off in the, in the beginning of the season. The next topic I want to discuss is youth training. I have a lot of parents coming in. I have a lot of parents emailing me, calling us, asking us about youth training. How old do you need to be to start training? Is it really bad for my son to only play one sport? There's an epidemic going on, guys, and I want to talk about that a little bit. There's been approximately 3.5 million youth injuries this year, and it increases every year. 20% of these injuries are players between the ages of 10 and 15 years of age. 5% of these kids will require surgery. That's that's a lot of kids to require surgery. When I was 14 years old, we didn't have lower back pain. Uh, we weren't having kids going in and getting UCL repairs. I mean, this is getting way out of hand. UCL repair and surgeries are increasing and appearing in athletes at a younger and younger age. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. We're gonna, we're gonna address them one at a time. First one is overuse. Playing multiple positions with high throwing volume, like example for like catching and pitching or pitching and playing third. The arm never really gets a break. And I try to tell guys, listen, play first base, you know, if you, pitching and catching, are you kidding me? Pitching and playing third base. So this is something that I see day in and day out, year over year in season with kids trying to play multiple positions and they're all high throwing positions. 
Try to choose a second position involving less volume, like first base, left field. And you know what else? Know your pitch count numbers. We use Pitch Smart. We go by Pitch Smart, uh, USA Baseball's uh, recommended daily pitch accounts. Like, um, let me let me think here. I'm looking at them right now. 11 to 12 year olds daily max pitch is 85. Uh, with zero days off, you can only throw one to 20. With one day in between, if you throw 21 to 35, and so on and so on. Get a copy of Pitch Smart's daily count uh, by USA Baseball. I highly recommend that you do that. And uh, you know. Take some responsibility for your kid's arm. Throwing and breaking pitches early is number two, curveballs and sliders. According to a 2001 study by Lyman in the American Journal of Sports Medicine, pitchers throwing curveballs and sliders at a young age experience more arm pain later on. I know no one's going to listen to this, but avoid the use of breaking balls while the growth plates are still open. Generally, between ages of 15 and 16, you know, you can start to think about that. I've got the type AAA dad that comes in here overusing his son. You know, his son is genetically bigger and stronger than everybody. So what happens when he's young? He gets the most playing time. He gets the most innings on the mound. I heard Eric Cressy say one time, early to ripe, early to rot. And I couldn't agree more. I've seen those big kids at 12 and 13 years old getting multiple innings when they need to win a game. Uh, What happens is that game starts to catch up to him as he gets older and those innings on his arms start to wreak havoc when it really, really starts to count. So know your pitch counts for your kid and watch the breaking balls at a young age. Another reason that we see so many injuries in young youth baseball players is lacks of strength. I mean, they're young. They're still going through puberty. A lack of core strength and arm shoulder strength and stability at an early age. Uh, once they get to that big field, there's more stress placed on the body and particularly the arm and shoulder. The solution is to get your guys into a good strength training program as soon as possible. 10 to 12 years old, is that too young? That's too young probably to start accepting load, but learning good movement patterns and movement strategies will take them into 13, 14, and 15 when they're going to soak up strength training like a sponge with good form. Studies by the American College of Sports Medicine show that strength training may significantly prevent injury from occurring during the season. And according to Escamilla in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning in 2012, young athletes participating in a strength training program increase velocity in a much, much safer manner. And that's huge. We all want, you know, we all want to see our kids throw harder, but we want to make sure that they're doing it safely. And by making sure that their passive restraints are strong and they can keep tendon strength and they can get into those and hold those successful positions is huge because that muscle you're putting on, it's like a shock absorber to help dissipate that force when the front foot hits the ground and prevents the body from rattling because when the lower half's rattling the upper half's rattling and that shoulder is the most unstable joint and it gets easily annoyed especially when it's getting rattled around and trying to throw from different positions on every pitch Strength training acts kind of like as the equalizer. It allows these kids to get in more successful positions, use their lower half a little better because now they actually have one and not overuse that arm and allows them to throw from a really stable position instead of like shooting a cannon from a canoe or trying to long toss off a raft. When you don't have that stability in your lower half, it's kind of like trying to throw long toss off off a raft instead of really being on solid ground where you can dig into the ground and it can give it back to you so you can throw from a really solid base and not overuse the arm. So as a summary for the epidemic, know the rules, know the pitch counts, play multiple sports, 
Please play multiple sports. I own a facility that only trains baseball players, and I'm telling you to play multiple sports. It really helps good movement strategies. Choose a second position when you're playing ball that involves less throwing. Left field, first base are good ones. Avoid the use of breaking balls while the growth plates are still open till generally about 15 or 16. Remember to have fun. It's still a game. Early to ripe, early to rot. And start a monitored strength program focusing on core, shoulder strength, and mobility early on. As early as good movement patterns from 10 to 12, 13 on, really good and monitored strength training. I emphasize the word monitored by a really qualified strength coach. So as far as strength training young athletes and getting stronger, let me talk about a couple of the myths that I've always heard over the years. And number one, strength training will stunt your growth if you're too young and the growth plates are still open. So I've found no research studies. I'm interviewing Mike Boyle in a couple of weeks, and I can't wait to get his take on this because I remember him saying he has never seen any study or research done anywhere on the internet about strength training stunning kids' growths. Current observations indicate no evidence of a decrease in stature in children who regularly perform resistance exercise in a controlled environment. There has never been a growth plate fracture that has been reported in any youth strength training study that has been associated with strength training. There's a lot of growth plate fractures that happen from throwing, and that doesn't seem to bother people too much about their kid throwing with the growth plate open. But it bothers them that they're strength training, where all of the studies have shown that most fractures happen from throwing, not lifting, like none happen from lifting. I mean, strength training will more than likely have a favorable influence on bone growth and development during childhood and adolescence. Recent studies have shown that athletes who participated in resistance training earlier, 13 to 14 year olds, demonstrate reduced lower extremity deficits and ultimately better mechanics, both on the field and behind the plate. That's from strongkids.com if you want to read the research. Another thing that I think is really important is the confidence factor. The sooner we can give an athlete, a young athlete, confidence in their ability to execute motor skills in the gym and build strength, the sooner they'll take ownership of their own training and be able to carry this ownership through their high school years and later. We see this all the time. I get calls all the time from college coaches telling me, dude, I just want to let you know that your kid came in as a freshman and he's running the weight room. That's really big for a freshman to get that acceptance on the team with the upperclassmen in the weight room. It immediately kind of gets you in the club a little earlier and we can all attest to how important that is if we've ever played sports in college. The second myth is strength training is unsafe for children. Okay, you know what? I'm going to agree with this. Strength training is unsafe for children. If it's done by a meathead trainer or somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. With appropriate supervision and instruction, the risks associated with young strength training is not greater than any other activity in which children and adolescents regularly participate. I mean, you have kids in gym jumping off of trampolines and you're worried about monitored strength training. That's something I just don't get. It's a safe training environment and it helps reduce the risk of injury. Last myth is young kids cannot increase strength because they don't even have enough testosterone development yet. So according to a study in 2010 by Dr. Avery D. Fagenbaum, testosterone is not essential for achieving strength gains. This is clearly evident by women and elderly individuals who experience impressive strength gains without high levels of testosterone. And with younger athletes, training-induced strength gains are relative Compared on a relative or percent basis, the improvements in children are comparable to adolescents and adults. 
Okay, now we've talked about the epidemic and we've talked about some myths of strength training. So how do we do it? What are some ground rules? So in order to move into a more advanced movements when they get older, every young athlete should be able, for me, to be able to hip hinge, they should be able to squat, they should be able to push well, and they should be able to pull well, and they should be able to work on all aspects of their core. Adding in single leg movements for balance and plyometric ability to help them uh, be fast on their feet is a must as well. So learn the basics and use a concurrent model of periodization, which means there's no one main focus. We work on strength, we work on speed, we work on muscle development, hypertrophy, power development, all of the above, all in one program. Athletes who need more general physical preparation, they need to work on everything at the same time. And unlike older athletes, once a kid gets old enough, 13, 14 years old, and he showed good movement qualities and movement strategies, and we can start to load him, keep those loaded exercise selection, keep it within a narrow scope, stay relatively the same for like two to three months. We like to change our, uh, our exercises every four to six weeks. For our older guys, it really helps keep them engaged. But for young kids, they're going to spend a month learning how to do it correctly. Then they're going to spend another month actually progressing it. So having them do it for 8 to 12 weeks instead of frequently changing exercises and changing the intensity, all we really need to do is we just need change intensity and volume and keep the exercises the same. And early in the offseason with these young guys, we'll use bigger movements with higher resistance, squats, loaded hip bridges on the floor. Later in the offseason, we'll use decreased resistance and faster tempos, introduce more plyometric training, introduce more rapid mebel work and rotation. And in season, sports-specific movements, medium resistance to main strength and power, and make it fun. It's crucial for these young guys to make it fun. It's also important to remember that starting early is crucial because kids get really good at what they practice, and that includes moving incorrectly. So developing good movement patterns before bad habits begin is crucial. Also, just sending your kid to a pitching coach when he doesn't possess an adequate amount of strength to get into those positions is basically like trying to pound a square peg into a round hole. That's going to be it for today. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you want to reach me, you can reach me at at Nunzio Signore or my facility at RPP underscore baseball. Our website is www.rocklandpeakperformance.com. And I've got a book out called Velocity-Based Training, How to Apply Science, Technology, and Data to Maximize Performance. That's released by Human Kinetics, and you can get it on Amazon. If you're interested in remote training with us or in-season training with us, in-season training locally, come to the facility, check us out, or you can go on our website. If you're interested in remote training and traveling from a distance, you can go onto our website, go up into the toolbar for remote training, fill out the form, and someone will contact you within the next 24 hours to set up an appointment and an online assessment, or you can come in and do your assessment. We have a lot of guys that are training remotely from two hours away, two and a half hours away. And I tell them, if you can get in here and do an in-house assessment, absolutely for sure do it. But we have guys that are in Oregon and Cleveland, Ohio, and that's a little far to come in. So we have a really efficient online assessment that we have you do. It's about 15 to 20 different movements that we look at, and you'll have a dedicated performance coach that will contact you. You have complete communication with every week. He will not only be changing your program every month, but he will also be looking at any mechanical issues that you feel like you have behind the plate hitting or throwing. Our guys are having great success with it. You can go on our website. You can look at testimonials. But until then, thanks for tuning in to the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm Nunzio Signore, and I will uh, see you on the next one.